As you're seated, please take your Bible and turn to Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. I get so carried away singing and worshiping, I forget to turn my microphone on. They just have to thump me on my head every now and then. You know, we've <clears throat> been in this wonderful series about things that every believer should know. Things that when the wheels come off the wagon and we start questioning things, these are the anchors. This is what holds us tight in, in really difficult times. And I found this is really important. If you can get a hold of new believers in Christ or those who are just starting their walk as Christ followers and instill some of these truths with them, it is so helpful. And, and they find themselves, you know, being able to walk in so much more victory. So that's, that's part of what's beyond this. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you the real significance between the cross of Christ and the empty tomb in modern day life. And, and the fact of the matter is, that this is the, the secret for victorious living, for abundant life. And remember the sentence I told you, that Jesus gave, came to give his life for you, so that he could give his life to you, so that he could live his life through you. And that's, that's a tremendous reality. Jesus wants to live his victorious Christian life in and through us. But the problem is, <laughs> and we looked at this last week, the problem is we don't always yield ourselves to that. Uh, quite to the contrary, sometimes we are pretty determined and hard-headed in our rebellion against him. And so what happens in our lives when we disobey God? That's what we looked at last week. We looked at David and the heinous sin that he committed against Bathsheba and Uriah and against the nation, really against God himself. And we saw the consequences of that. And, and we were reminded, and let me remind you again, your relationship with God, once you come to faith in Christ, is eternal. Your relationship is never in jeopardy of being taken away from you or hurt in any way. When you are saved, genuinely come to faith in Christ, nothing can change that. However, our fellowship with him can be seriously damaged because of our perpetual, constant, determined sin. To where our experience with Him, our, our fellowship with Him, our, 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 our prayers and our ability to worship and just kind of hear from Him and sense that He's hearing from us. This is what suffers so deeply when we sin. So we looked at how those consequences hit uh, David and how it affected him physically and emotionally and spiritually in every dynamic. But then also David gave to us in Psalm 51 the wonderful reality of our cleansing that the Holy Spirit can cleanse us from those things. And we walked in that this week. But what I want us to deal with today, in the next step in this process, if we are prone by the human beings we are, if, if we're prone to wander off in our own direction, if we're prone to not only be tempted but give in to temptation, how do we handle that? As, as believers in Christ who are maturing in their faith, who are trying to grow in what it means to be a Christ follower, how do we handle temptation? So that's what we really want to deal with today. And, and the first passage I want you to see is from 2 Peter chapter 2. And if you'll specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, if you'll specifically find verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Can I read that again? I just want to stop right there and shout hallelujah, okay? The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Well, God, we want to know how to. We want to know how you do it. 
We want to know how to where we can partner with you, fellowship with you about that. You see, here's something that maybe you have learned, maybe you haven't. God doesn't do everything for us when it comes to this. Now, he does it all in relation to our salvation. The only thing that we do is we receive that and, and such. But when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to growing in the Lord, he won't do all of that for us. He will create a partnership with us. And he'll say, now I'll do this, and you do this, and I'll do this, and you'll do this. And this is the partnership we need to learn when it comes to temptation. This is no different. There are things that he will do, and there are things that we can do. Now, today we're going to look at primarily what he does. And then next week we're going to get very real practical, some nuts and bolts stuff about what we do to handle these temptations as they come that way. It's the partnership endeavor. So here, turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will. First, yeah, 2 Corinthians. I'll get it out in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <laughs> and this is a, a prominent classic text where God explains the very real parameters he puts on the devil himself when it comes to temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you'll find for me verse 13. 1 Corinthians 2.13. Let's just read this through. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as common to man. But God is faithful, thank you, Lord, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, we need to put that one to memory. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we really need you right now. We need you to come in and settle with us. Because in our hearts, the desire of our heart is to follow you. The desire of our heart is to yield our lives to you, to where you can live your life through us. That's, that's our desire. But God, the, the, we're just so prone to give in and give up. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you today to show us some light at the end of this tunnel. To show us that you understand that you're walking with us and that there's an answer for us to grasp. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so as we read this verse, one of the first things that jumps out at us, and it is so welcoming... Listen to me very carefully. You are not alone in this ordeal. Hear that, please, from the bottom of my heart. You are not alone. Why? Because what, let me tell you what happens, at least in my life, when temptation comes along and you give into it and you stumble and fall. Sin isolates us. It isolates us. It separates us. And, and here's the way we feel. We feel that nobody understands this. Nobody has been through what I've been through. Nobody has the temptations that I'm having. Nobody is wrestling with this alligator the way I am. And the fact of the matter is, that's a, a ploy from Satan. He wants to totally isolate us to, under, to, to think that we're in this all alone. But that's not true. One of the things that we teach is a cardinal principle in Celebrate Recovery, and I've been engaged with this since, well, just about the time I left you. Um, 
Celebrate Recovery, we teach, you know, you are not made to survive your addiction by yourself. You, you have to be in community. You have to be in family. Especially in that situation, family who understands. People who also know the struggle and the lure and the temptation of addiction. But you understand, you don't have to do this alone. If Satan ever convinces you, you have to handle this temptation by yourself, he's got you. He's got you. You are no match for him. You are no match for his wiles. This was designed to do this in community. And the community where it's supposed to be done is within the church. Now let me tell you the sad reality. We are victims of our own pride. I think we ought to be able to walk in here every Sunday morning with a big old sign on our chest that says, I am struggling against and fill in the blank. Lust. Gossip alcoholism, whatever. Well, why would you say that, Brother Fred? Why should we do that? To where we can congregate together. Yeah. Yeah. Where we can congregate together. Because we're not alone in this. We know we're not alone in this. But our pride sometimes tells us we're not going to admit that we're tempted by any of this either. This is where pride can be so damning in the church. Folks, we need to, we need to admit to one another we have not got this all figured out. <laughs> we are in the process of trying to learn how to do life. And how to do life is something we need to do together. I need you if you're struggling with the same thing that I'm struggling with. And you need me. And we can lean on one another. We can encourage one another. Part of the backbone of recovery systems, no matter what they may be, is the fact that there's fellowship and people who understand. That's the way God designed our church. And we keep the church from operating the way it should when we're too prideful to admit that we're struggling with anything. Oh, I got it all together. Don't worry about me. Don't you wish you were like me? <laughs> no, you don't. Guarantee you don't. To be real is to admit those things and to deal with them together in community. You're not alone. So I want you to grab a hold of that first thing today. Now, three points I want you to look in your notes, and there are other things you might want to write down in here that this verse teaches us. First of all, is the common experience of temptation. Write that in your notes. The common experience of temptation. And turn to Hebrews chapter 4. While you're turning there, I want to read the first part of this verse over us again. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. Common to man. Let me tell you something. Satan has not come up with a new sin since Adam and Eve. He hasn't. Satan has not invented a new sin, a new temptation since Adam and Eve. He has fine-tuned it to every culture and every generation that's come along, but they're the same things. From way back at Papa Adam and Mama Eve, you and I are suffering from the same temptation that they did. And we need to understand that. You know, Satan hadn't devised something that all of a sudden it's like a virus and it's killing everybody all over the place. No, there's nothing new about what he's doing. So we can look to those who have walked behind us and so many who have, have overcome this temptation. When you think about temptation, who in the Bible do you think about who succumbed to temptation? Well, you think about people like Samson that ruled their lives. But then you, you think about those who overcame that sensation. You think about Daniel who stood firm even when the, uh, the pressure was really on and it's most intense. So you see in the scriptures 
you know, and we walk on the shoulders of these spiritual giants and these who have walked with a real limp. David was definitely one of them. So we are not alone in this. We're not alone. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Find this. I want you to look at this, underline it, highlight it, whatever you do in your Bible. You need to remember this one. Hebrews 4, 15 says this. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Anybody want to say hallelujah other than me? I need somebody that can sympathize with me and my weaknesses. And that's what it says. But let's read a little further. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now look at me and hear me very well. You will never be tempted in any way that Jesus Christ was not also tempted. Let that settle in a minute. You will never be tempted in any way that Jesus Christ was not tempted. And that's why he understands. That's why he can feel with us. That's why he can empathize. That's why he understands. Because he went through the same temptations that you and I go through. Nail that down in your mind. Now, yes, it says he was without sin. And yes, he was the Son of God. But listen, he says that to help us know some things. There's some things I want you to realize right off the bat. First of all is this, temptation is not sin. I'm going to say that again, and you listen very carefully. Temptation is not sin. Now say that with me. Temptation is not sin. Understand that. You see, if temptation itself was sin, then Jesus was a sinner. Because it says right here that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are but that he was without sin. So if temptation itself was a sin, then Christ would be a sinner, but he's not. So temptation itself is not sin. Temptation is neutral, all right? It's alluring, you know, but it's, it, it's neutral in and of itself. It's what we do with that temptation, how we respond to it, all right? That's what's key. Temptation is not sin. Now, I say that, I want to drive it home because let me tell you the way we usually think. When we, when we are tempted, we feel bad, okay? There, there's, a, there's a soul pain that comes upon us. Remember, that's, that's something that David said that he experienced, that his, his heart was heavy within him, he felt like his bones were breaking. All of these things were consequences, you know, of his sin. Temptation makes us feel guilty. That's a universal reality. We don't want to feel guilty, we don't want to feel tempted, but To be tempted, we we feel guilty about having that temptation. So here's the way our brain works. We're feeling just as bad as if we had done the deed, so we go ahead and do the deed. Come on now. You can't tell me that hadn't at least passed through your mind, and you've probably done it. I know I have. Let's be real, okay? If you're going to feel that misery for having been tempted... Then many of us says, well, if I'm going to feel that ministry, I'll go ahead and do the deed, and at least I'll have had the deed behind me to feel guilty about. No. That is such silly reasoning, but it goes on in our brains all the time. Understand that. Temptation itself is not a sin. Let me give you a picture of that. Guys, some of you in here, some of the ladies are as well. I know you enjoy fishing. Think for a minute that you're in your boat 
and you can see out there and you can see a log in that clear water and right underneath there you see the shadow of Big Mr. Bass. And you've got your rod already, you've got your lure, the best one you got. You flick that sucker right over there, you bring it in right on top of him, come right on through, he don't pay no attention. You flip it again, flip it again, Mr. Bass ain't having it. He's not having it. He sees the temptation, but what does he do? He refuses it. He ignores it. Now, what happens if he doesn't ignore it? He comes out there and grabs that thing. He's going home in the frying pan. Right. Temptation is the lure. And it is alluring. Temptation is real. And it's powerful. But it is not the sin. Please understand that. That's very important for you to get in your brain. Temptation itself is not a sin. The second thing I want you to see, and it's from Jesus' experience as well. Jesus was tempted in every manner as we are. In Matthew chapter 4, we see one of those experiences where Jesus was, was tempted. Forty days, forty nights, he spent in the wilderness. And all that period of time, he was being tempted by the devil about what kind of Messiah was he going to be. That's really what it was all about. What kind of Messiah was he going to be? And then at the end of that, when he was at his most weakened position, that's when, when Satan really put the screws to him, really turned up the heat. And so what we have recorded are those most serious temptations, the most difficult temptations that Jesus went through at that time. Do you know how he responded to each and every one of those? With the Word of God. Now, he didn't have a Bible like I do right here. Because the Bible he had, he hid, had it hid in his heart. But in every temptation, he believed what the Bible said. He obeyed what the Bible said. And then he took what the Bible said and shoved it up the nose of the devil. We're going to talk more about how you resist temptation next week. But what Jesus showed us was that even the Son of God... When it comes to resisting temptation, uses the eternal word of God to do battle against the enemy of our souls. So we're going to see about what that looks like next week, but I just want you to see that. Jesus did not use some supernatural ability that he had because he was the son of God. He chose to use the same thing you and I have to show us the way. Here is the way you handle temptation. And we're going to get real specific about that next week. But today I just want you to see that in big, bold colors. He uses the Word of God. So, that's our first thing. This, this thing I want you to know is that there's a common experience. We all go through this. Nobody is immune from this. Secondly, I want you to see is this. There's an controlled environment to temptation. A controlled environment to temptation. Look what it says. But God is faithful. That means he can be depended upon. You can trust him in this. So he said, listen, trust me in this. I'm faithful. You depend on this. I will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to endure it. That's a promise from Almighty God to you. I won't allow it. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, says. He puts parameters on what Satan can do. Way back in the Old Testament, the book of Job. 
Satan come before God the Father, and he said, listen, I seriously question the validity of Job's love for you. I think the only reason he loves you is because you bless him. If you take away these blessings, he'll curse you to your face. And what did God say? He said, you go ahead and test Job, but you stay in these lines. You don't go outside them lines. You're not allowed to put any temptation on Job other than that which I seriously limit you to do. That's God Almighty speaking. And the same promise he makes to us. He did the same thing with Peter. Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. And when you come out of this, I want you to, to, to feed my, my sheep, lead my brethren. What's he saying? I've put the limits on what Satan can do. Did Satan sift Peter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Peter, Peter came out of that realizing how pitiful he was as a follower of Christ. But he came out of there being strengthened as well. So hear this. God sets limits on what Satan can do. He limits how much he can tempt you. Now, God allows these temptations for a lot of different reasons. The biggest is, folks, you and I don't grow in feel-good situations. We grow when things are tough. We, we have a saying in, in, in Celebrate Recovery that we use. People don't change when they see the light. <laughs> they change when they feel the heat. That's the reality. You and I don't change just because we see there's a better way out there. God's got to turn up the heat. And when he turns up the heat, then we say, I've got to find out how to partner with God in this. <laughs> I can't stand, I can't stand that heat. That's, we all have to have this. Temptation is tests for us. Okay? When you're in school, some, many of you are in school right now. Yeah, you, you have to take tests. Bah, I hated them, still do. Okay? But you have to take tests. Why do you have to take tests? Well, they, they, they tell the instructor that you've mastered that level of, of whatever it is you're dealing with, math or whatever the case may be, that, that you've passed that level, and you can go on to the next level because learning is cumulative and it builds on top of one another. So tests are required in education to figure out where you are, and if you've mastered certain skills, if you need to remediate some of those, or if you need ready to go on to the next thing. Tests are required. Temptation is required in our spiritual lives for the same reason. It demonstrates to us where we are. God already knows where we are. But it demonstrates to us where we are and where we need to grow. So understand, because your relationship is not threatened in this, God's got you. And he's not going to let you go. The fellowship's being hurt. So here's what we can do about that. Understand, I have put a limit. I put a limit. Aren't you glad that, that when you were taking, uh, you know, eighth grade, uh, you know, pre-algebra, they didn't test you on calculus? Weren't you glad? Yeah. Yeah, I was glad. I never, I never got tested on calculus. I never took it. Okay? There's a reason for that. <laughs> but, you know, the teacher's not going to give you a test on calculus when you're just learning algebra. No. 
And neither is God going to let you go through a test that you're not ready for. Hold on to that. And understand, as difficult as it is when we find these temptations, especially when we've given into addictions, and I can say that transparently because I've been there and done that. Not substance abuse, but I know about addiction. When we've given into addiction, it's all the more important for you to understand our identity is not wrapped up in our failures. Our identity is wrapped up in His victory. And I am not who I say I am, but I am who He says I am. He determines my identity. And here, He determines these parameters as well. So He sets the limits on temptation. Third thing we learn out of this passage is this. The certain escape from temptation. Look what it says here. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape. A way of escape. Underline that. A way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, let me tell you what, how most of us think this thing works. God's sitting up there, and He's watching us and all we're going through with life. And He sees we're approaching a major temptation, and He's worried. He's writing his fingernails, and He's wringing His hands or whatever. Don't know if we're going to make it or not. But He's right there that if things get too bad, He'll throw us a lifeline, and we can grab it and come in. No. That's not the way the Bible pictures our lives and God. God says... I knew you from before I created you in your mother's womb. I numbered every one of your days. I knew every experience you would ever have. And so what this verse means is when you face temptation tomorrow or next week or next month or in five years from here, God has already been there. And He has already formulated, created a means for you to escape when that time comes. He's not throwing your lifeline at the last minute. He's already prepared that. Because you see, He knows the end from the beginning. He knows even when we're going to fail. But He still manages to put that means of escape there before us. We need to understand that. And listen... If somebody just says to you, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I was tempted, but it was more than I could handle, and I just gave in to temptation, I, I, it was more than I could handle. Tell them to get another excuse. That one don't fit. That one's not biblical. Get you another excuse. Man up and say, I chose to escape the means of, uh, I chose to, did not choose the means of escape, I went on with my temptation. Man up to it. Let me tell you, I, I was reading recently uh, a book by a collaboration of doctors, who, counselors who have uh, spent their entire uh, ministry dealing with people who'd been through adulterous affairs and helping them to overcome that. Some of these, people, these families you can put back together, sometimes you can't. But 98.7% of all of those counselees said the same thing. There was a point in this illicit relationship that I could have walked away and nobody would have been hurt. But I chose to ignore it. 
almost every one of them said the same thing. There was a time in the temptation of this illicit affair that I saw clearly how I could step away and nobody would be hurt. But I chose not to take it. And now I'm in the mess that I'm in. Okay? What were they saying? They were describing in very secular human terms what the Bible is saying right here. God will always provide a means of escape. The question is whether or not we'll see it and whether or not we'll take it. It's not a question of whether or not it's there. And if you'll think back, the last time that you gave in to temptation, if you'll be man or woman enough to admit you ever did, <laughs> if you'll take a moment and think about the last time that you gave in to temptation, wasn't there a time? Wasn't there a time that you saw the caution flags? Wasn't there a time that God gave you a way that you could step away from that? And maybe you took it, or maybe you didn't. But that just validates what the Scripture is saying is true. Without any exception, God not only sets the limits on this temptation, He provides a means for escape. The escape door is always there, and the hatch is always unlocked. No question whatsoever. That's the reality of the Word. Now, there's this point that the still, small voice of Holy Spirit is going to whisper in your ear, this is wrong, this is not the way I want you to live, and here's the way you can step out of this. But it's up for us to notice it and to take it. Now, two things very quickly. Never, 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 never in the Bible does it ever say that you and I are to resist temptation. It's not there. Never, ever, ever anywhere in the Bible does it say that you and I are supposed to resist temptation. The Bible says we're to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But what the Bible says in relation to temptation is you need to run. You flee temptation. You flee from idolatry. You flee from immorality. You flee from greed. The Bible over and over says, when these types of situation, you flee. What does that word flee mean? It means to run like your life depends on it. You're not being more of a Christian man or gentleman to stand up to temptation. You're being a fool. The Bible says run from it. Flee from it. Don't be ashamed to do what the Bible says, my friends. You don't go there. You run the other way. A dear friend of mine who's 20-some-odd years in sobriety, he says this. He says, I love peanuts, but you know what I've learned? I don't go to the bar to eat my peanuts anymore. I go to Walmart. Now, that's funny, but think about this for a minute. He knows to go to the bar, the peanuts will be there. But so will the temptation. And so if he's wanting peanuts, he goes to Walmart. We've got to have some common sense. We've got to have some common sense, and we've got to learn to participate with God in what he wants us to do. Understand this reality. This is the first thing. You need to flee from temptation. And the other thing Jesus says right here, uh, uh, Paul says right here, is that I will provide a way of escape. 
And that word is one of these few words that's in uh, the Greek language. It's a, it's a picture word. It's a picture word. And it's like you're, you're walking in a canyon with these, these unclimbable walls on either side, and it's just getting narrower and darker and narrower and darker. But then here's a tiny path over here that leads up and out. And the time to take that path is when you come upon it in this journey. Because if you get further and further and further and further down there, you're leaving the only source of escape. And you're, saying, you're thinking in your mind, oh, there'll be another one down here a little further, you know. Uh, I'm a man, and we travel, and we do driving, and, and I miss my exit. Oh, there'll be another one further down, <laughs> 30 miles from here. You know. When you see it, take it. Understand that this, this crevasse is getting narrower and narrower and deeper and deeper and darker and darker. And when God provides the avenue of escape, flee. Run down it. Run away. It's a picture word for the only chance you're going to get to get out of this and to be successful. Here's what I want you to see today. Here's part of God's part. Not all of God's part, but here's part of God's part. He's saying, it's a common experience. I'm not going to let you go through anything anybody else hadn't gone through. No new sins whatsoever. You're not going through this alone. I'm going to be there with you. There are other believers in Christ who will be there with you. It's a common experience. Secondly, it's a controlled environment. You've got my word, my promise from the throne of Almighty Heaven that I will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to be able to endure. How are you going to endure? I'm going to provide for you an escape hatch. The door is going to be unlocked. Notice it, take it, and run. That's what God's promising us today. Now, some of us, to be very honest with God, say, well, (laughs) I wish I'd heard this sermon last week or last month or whatever. Let me say this again. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ... You've genuinely been saved. Your relationship with Him can never be threatened. You may have totally crushed the, rela- the, the fellowship with Him and your sense of His presence and your joy in His presence and, and, and your prayer life and your devotional life and all of this. You may have seriously, seriously jeopardized that, but you have not ruined your relationship. That's eternal, written in the blood of Christ. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fellowship. What do I do with this? What do I do with this? You've got to be honest with God. It's time to man up, folks. It's time to be honest with God. Why not? He knows it anyway. We have to be honest with God. God, I blew it. I might have even seen the temptation coming. I might have ran right by the escape hatch. Now I find myself standing before you and I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. But I dare to believe that you're the God of all grace and mercy, just like David said. And if I confess my sin, you'll be faithful. I can count on you and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of this unrighteousness. God, I want you to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And I want to learn through things Brother Fred is going to teach and other things as well 
how to see these temptations coming and how to notice the escape hatch and run. Let's pray together. Time to do business with God. We don't come here just to hear great music, though it is, and, and, and hear a sermon. We come here to do business with God. And Holy Spirit so works it in such a way that what He wants to talk to you about is presented on that day. So He knows where you are. He knows your victories and your defeats. His love for you has not changed one iota. The relationship is firm. The fellowship's taken a beating. But we can do something about that right now. So I want to ask you just to pray with me. If my words seem to be your words, then you utter them in your heart. Dear God, it's me again. I didn't run when I should have. I didn't take the escape when you offered it. And here I am before you, embarrassed and ashamed. But way down deep in my heart, I know you love me. And there's hope for me. So right now I confess my sin. And with all that is within me and with your grace, I want to turn away from that. I want to follow you. I want to learn how you can live your supernatural, powerful life in and through me. But right now, I feel more like a failure than I do a victor. So I ask you to restore the joy of my salvation, the sweetness of our relationship. Hold me, Lord. I just need you to hold me. And I dare to believe you will. Let it be so, Lord. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.